Waking up from the longest night Fixing my eyes on the new horizon Joy before me, leave the past behind There's no turning back, there's no turning back Boldly I run into your presence Faith like a child
searched the world But it couldn't fill me A man's empty praise And treasures that fade Are never enough And you came along And put me back together Found satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you. afraid to show you my weakness my failures and flaws but you've seen them all still call me friend He's God of the mountain is the God of the valley there's not a place where mercy and grace won't find me again. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Lord, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you. You turn morning to dancing. Turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You turn mourning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You turn graves into Turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can. You're the
Better than you, Lord, there's nothing. Better than you, Lord, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you, Lord, there's nothing. Better than you, Lord, there's nothing. Nothing. God, that's, that's the cry of our heart. It's very, very simple uh, that we would come to you and that we would see change, that we would see change in our own minds and the way that we're looking at life, that we would see change in our own circumstances, in our own world. But Lord, I pray that you would help us, God, to, to seek you in a pure and in a simple way. God, just to look into the face of Jesus, to, to, to close our eyes and to somehow see your face, God, to somehow connect with you in a deeper way. And Lord, we are so thankful for the, the past and your faithfulness in the past. We can survey our own lives and our own situations, and we can see, we can testify that you have been faithful. But Lord, we pray for today. You told us to pray, give us today our daily bread. So, Lord, we come to you.
today in need. And I pray, God, for people in our own assembly who are in need, people who are facing health challenges. God, I pray for Hong that you would strengthen him and, and fill him with health and restore him, God. We pray for those who have family members who have maybe been in classrooms or been with people who have been exposed to the virus, and sometimes there can be a fear and an anxiety that comes. We pray for people who are facing challenging circumstances financially and are out of work or working less time, less hours, and there's stress in the home and there's uncertainty, and as we look into the cold weather months that are coming, God, it can just, just increase that stress. But I pray, Lord, that through all of it, we would hold fast to what we have and hold on to Jesus, even through the circumstances that are so uncertain. We look around the world, God, and, and we just see it amplified over and over again. But Lord, we thank you for you are faithful. You can turn graves into gardens, Lord. You can turn uh, a, a, a dark situation into a light situation. You can make the worst circumstance into a blessing for us. So, Lord, we just wait in expectation and teach us to seek your face. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys for leading us today. And you guys will come back at the end. And I uh, want to say hello to everybody watching us online. And please talk back to us, okay? You might be watching on three different places today. You could be watching on Facebook. If you are, give us, give us a heads up. How's it sound? How's it look? How are you doing? Say hi to people. Use that. Uh, side panel to communicate with people, okay? And don't be shy to do that. Uh, this is the first time we're broadcasting live on YouTube, so we've got our YouTube YouTube channel cooking, uh, City Point, Quebec, so it should be running. Uh, let us know how it looks, how it sounds, all of that. And you might be watching on our website as well, which is just a copy of what's going on on Facebook, okay? So, uh, last week there were some problems with the tech and people were losing the, the stream. It seemed to be okay on our end. So if there's any issues, we will try to reconnect. And uh, so please be patient with us, okay? That's technology for you. But thank you for tuning in with us. And just want to give you a couple of announcements uh, before we get into today's uh, teaching. If you are brand new with us, as always, uh, text the key phrase on your smartphone, reach the one with no spaces to 514-900-0130. And I will put you on to our electronic list and uh, you'll get a little gift via email that I hope that you will enjoy very much. Uh, but if you will do that, that'll be a real help for me because I can follow up your visit with us. We continue to meet online only for the time being, at least, as we wait and see what happens in the province of Quebec. Our normal location is, of course, uh, the movie theater um, in Brossard, where we meet at Cineplex Distrante, uh, right over there, okay? So, oh boy. Yeah, if you can turn that ringer off, that would be really helpful. Thank you. 
<laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah, that's the technology. Yeah, distracted me there. Somebody's ordering pizza on my phone, okay, which is serving as the internet connection and everything else around here. But anyway, um, yeah, so we continue to wait to uh, meet in person. But thank you so much for tuning in online. And as I said, take advantage of it. If you're watching live, you can communicate, okay? Don't be shy, all right? And we'd love to hear your comments, your feedbacks, feedback, comments, criticisms, whatever. Just talk, talk. That's a good thing. You can check us out uh, online. Everything that we do is recorded and put on our website, put on Facebook, put on YouTube. And we have two streaming audio platforms, um, Podbean and Apple Podcasts. If you like to listen only, then that's fine as well. All right, keep praying for our missionaries, the Charbonneaux in Port-au-Prince, Haiti as well as the mans uh, who are preparing to head uh, overseas to various countries engaging in leadership training. I was reminded this week of the great need of leadership training in many countries around the world, but specifically thinking about Nigeria. And we have a number of people in our congregation that are from Nigeria, and it is a very, very dire situation in Nigeria, uh, having to do with protests uh, uh, against corruption that has been there for years and years. And uh, so there's a, there's a surge of young people that are, are fed up, and rightfully so, and that are protesting, and yet there is backlash from the government. Um, I've talked to one person this week, and there are young people being shot in the streets uh, and it's, it's getting out of control and into a chaotic situation there. And there needs to be leaders who rise up in Nigeria and other nations that are similar to it. I don't know that anything is, is exactly the same as what's happening right there. We don't hear much about it, of course, in the North American news networks, but it's very real and very dire situation. So uh, the MANS will be doing leadership training in many different African nations. Um, and so that's leaders with integrity, pastors with integrity can affect culture, can affect um, politics. And so it's a very essential uh, thing. So uh, pray for that nation. And I know that many of you are um, already because you've been talking to me. Uh, some things that you can get involved in uh, over the next few months. Uh, number one, you can help families that are in need this season, and it keeps growing. Uh, I work two days a week at a large food bank in the city of Brossard, and there's more and more and more new families coming through our doors. Uh, people are out of work. Uh, there happened to have been, uh, as well, a large fire in Greenfield Park just a couple of weeks ago, 40 homes uh, affected, and, uh, I mean, what a terrible time to have that happen. Um, but you can help, and uh, a number of you have, have already started to do that. There's a few families in our church that are uh, uh, members of the food bank, and what's going on now is that people in our church are giving and able to support families who are in need. And just this past week, I think we raised about $800, and what that does is we can support families who are in need and give them that food. Uh, normally, it costs them $15 for a huge, huge basket of food, like a shopping cart filled with food. Well, that cost is covered for them uh, by our church when we're able to sponsor a person. So there's a few people in our church that are benefiting from this, but maybe you know people who are in need and people who are sometimes they're really, really shy, okay? You can see it. They may not want to tell you about it, but maybe you can see it. And what you've got to do uh, is say, hey, 
there's there's a way that we can help you and there's a way that we can support you. It's completely confidential. You just need to put them in touch with me and I will bridge the connection with them and the food bank and we will be able to cover them um, so that they can have that, that food, which is so, so important at this time. Some people, it takes three months, four months, five months, six months, and the bottom falls out of the home. Uh, I've seen restaurants in my area close with boards on the windows. After three months, it was over. Restaurants that have been there for decades, finished, boarded up. And so uh, many homes are struggling. You can support those homes. Again, you can use it as a kind of an outreach tool. If you know people, you can give, and that supports as well. Just give to us the normal way and put a note there somewhere, food bank or MNG, that's Mission Nouvelle Génération, um, and uh, we'll be able to, to take care of all of that for you, okay? Another thing that is coming, it happens every year, is Operation Christmas Child, and uh, we've participated in this as uh, uh, thousands of churches uh, around North America do this uh, as well, and it's a real basic concept. You, you pack a shoebox uh, filled with toys and other goodies, and that goes to third world countries, and that goes to children who really never have that opportunity, um, don't know the Christmas story, don't know anything about Jesus, and that gesture can be life-changing. There are churches that planted uh, that are planted as a result of Operation Christmas Child because inside uh, the box that is packed, they put something about the gospel message, and that affects communities, and churches get planted, and people come to Christ. It's a, it's a fantastic outreach opportunity, and it's challenging this year because of the pandemic. So what you can do is point your browser to... SamaritansPurse.ca slash OCC. Okay, I'm looking at a big, big screen over here, but you're looking at it on your phone or your device right now. SamaritansPurse.ca slash OCC. Now, you can do it the traditional way where you take a shoebox, just a standard shoebox, and you fill it with items. You say, what items? Look on the website, and it will tell you. There's a couple of restrictions this year. I think they want you to stay away from certain kinds of liquid items. Uh, but you'll, all the info is there, and you pack that shoebox, and then you have to take that shoebox to a drop-off location. The drop-off locations have now shrunk qu quite a bit because of the pandemic, but there is a church in Shattagay that is a drop-off location relatively close to our people. So you can do it that way, and you need to uh, put a $10 donation in there. That will cover the shipping as well as that gospel message that they put in the box. So you can do it that way where you go out and do the shopping, or you can do the whole thing online with a few taps of your device. And uh, just go to the, the, the website, and they'll tell you how to do that. I think the minimum cost for that is $40. You will receive an income tax receipt from Samaritan's Purse uh, when you participate that way. But some people say, I'd really love to do it, but I don't want to go out and run around and go shopping at different stores. You can do the whole thing online. You can even choose what items you want to put in there, okay? The uh, drop-off date, if you're doing it that way, is between November 16th. And the 22nd, and again, there's a location at a church in Shattagay. You get all that information online. Again, SamaritansPurse.ca slash OCC. Thank you again for your faithfulness, your generosity in giving. 
Uh, it is exciting to see people respond and people learn to live in difficult circumstances in a pandemic. Life still moves on. And so thank you so much for being faithful. And uh, just for the tech team that's that's here, I've got tech and worship team. I even bring the little machine on Sunday mornings. Now we're meeting here at the at the Bible College Chapel at Institute Biblique du Québec. But it is it is uh, like a breath of fresh air when people are consistent with their generosity and with their giving. All right, we are in part eight of our series called Dear Churches, and this is the church with the open door from Revelation chapter three. All right, I'll put that map back on your your device there, and we are, wow, This <laughs> the screen over here has got some color issues, but we are looking at the church in uh, Philadelphia today, Philadelphia, not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in the U.S., but we're looking at Philadelphia in the first century in Asia Minor, and probably if you unplug that wire leading to the screen and replug it, you might be able to get those colors back uh, so our techies can see what's going on on the screen. But anyway, we're looking at Philadelphia, uh, and this is almost the last city on the sort of Amazon delivery route of churches that's happening here, and the last church is going to be Laodicea, but we are in Philadelphia today, uh, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But I wanted to address something from last week. Uh, which I found quite fascinating. We were talking last week about what is your worldview, and we looked at the church uh, in Sardis. And remember, we talked about uh, what Sardis looks like and what it looked like, and there's a lot in, in the rocks that we can see about Sardis. And we were kind of thinking about this question of worldview. And I did a little survey uh, with you um, that's based on something that just just came out, results that just came out uh, from a large survey in the United States, uh, looking at what evangelicals, people who you know attend church regularly, believe that the Bible is the Word of God and so on, that's the sort of standard umbrella term for evangelicals. Well, what do evangelicals really believe and what are their convictions? And what we saw last week is that a lot of them, especially in the U.S. where the survey was done, don't necessarily have an actual biblical worldview. And so I uh, decided to take some of these questions and bounce them off you and see how you responded. And there's three that I want to look at uh, that I found the results quite fascinating, okay? The first one, first uh, question, and you had to answer whether you agreed or disagreed. And maybe there's some ambiguity in the way the question was asked was strange. I'm not sure. But uh, this is what I found, and there's enough of you who responded to make this to make this uh, worth talking about. So success is consistent obedient obedience to God. Success is consistent obedience to God. Well, forty percent of you disagreed with that. I'm not sure why. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe the way again the way it's read, the way you read it, or the fact that you have to disagree or agree. May, I'm not sure, but this is a, an idea that does indeed come out of the Bible. Um, if you look at the Bible, success is not how much money you make. Uh, it's not how powerful you are. It's not your material goods. Uh, it's not even the the quality of your relationships. Ultimately, success is based on a consistent, obedient life to God. 
And when that happens, you'll see all those other things kind of fall into place. Uh, you'll see the things that really matter start to fall into place. Uh, you can't really take anything materially with you to the other side, can you? Uh, you can take those relationships with you where you're going to have good relationships when you have obedience to God. So success is, at least if you go by the Bible, it's consistent, long obedience to God uh, gives you success in life. Uh, at least if you go by what the Bible teaches in a general sense, okay? So I just found that really interesting that 40% said, no, I don't agree. Well, I said, well, maybe that's just one question. Maybe people kind of thought, you know, they read it wrong or something. But there was another one that came up, and this one uh, I found fascinating also. And here's a statement. History is the story of God's plan for humanity moving toward fulfillment. All right. History is the story of God's plan for humanity moving toward fulfillment. Well, about half of you disagreed with that. So 47 percent. Well, wow, that's really, really interesting. I mean, indeed, if you survey the scripture, you know, you look at a, a book like Daniel, uh, which talks about the sovereign power of God over over politics, over the geopolitical situation over kings, over people who love him, over people who hate him. He is ultimately sovereign and directing the course of history toward a conclusion. This is taught uh, certainly in a book like Daniel, but I mean, Jesus taught it. Paul taught it. It's it's pretty, pretty firmly established in the Bible. Uh, but about half of you disagreed with that. Now, when we talk about, again, developing a, a biblical worldview, we see life, we see ourselves, we see God through the lens of what he has revealed about himself in the Bible. All right. Uh, and the last one here uh, that I also found really interesting was this this statement. The Bible is unambiguous in its teaching about abortion. Very controversial subject, um, obviously, uh, particularly with the uh, election in the U.S. just a few days away and all of what's going on over there. But the Bible is unambiguous in its teaching about abortion. Forty six percent disagreed with that. Now, unambiguous means uh, clear. Doesn't mean unclear, it means clear. If something's ambiguous, it's not clear. If it's unambiguous, it's clear. So maybe it's the way, you know, these Americans ask these questions, I'm not sure. Uh, but another way of saying it is the Bible is clear in its teaching about abortion. And I would say, indeed, it is. Uh, while you don't have abortion addressed specifically, uh, as it exists today, you certainly have the idea that life is is it begins inside the womb. Uh, Psalm one thirty nine, you knit me together in my mother's womb. You ordained my days before, a and uh, this idea that life, even pre born life, is life. Uh, we see in. Um, in the, the Christmas narrative, when, um, uh, when Mary and um, Elizabeth uh, met each other and uh, uh, Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist, we see the baby leaps in his mother's womb in the presence of Mary, who's pregnant with Jesus. 
huh? How, how does that work? They're not even born yet. So the implication clearly is that life begins at conception. And therefore, we could say the Bible pretty clearly is opposed uh, to abortion. Again, uh, uh, 46% disagreed. So I'm not sure if it's the way that the questions were worded or whatever, uh, but I just found it interesting. But note this, right? The development of a biblical worldview, it's not just, well, I, I memorize certain verses in the Bible. No, it's the way you look at life is actually shaped by this idea that God is actually speaking to me through what I read in this book. And so I change the way that I look at certain things in accordance with what he is saying to me. That's a biblical worldview. So when we look at Philadelphia, which we'll, we'll look at um, now, um, with this kind of thing in mind, because you'll see it, it'll, it'll apply. Uh, Philadelphia is really cool church in the ancient world because uh, like Smyrna, and there's only two churches out of seven, Oh, it looks much better on our screen, whoever did that, thank you. Uh, like Smyrna, which is listed, we already covered Smyrna. Uh, Smyrna and Philadelphia are the only two churches where Jesus has no criticisms for them. And again, this is Jesus addressing these seven churches uh, in the opening chapters of the book of Revelation through the pen of the apostle John, who is exiled on the island of Patmos, not too far away from these seven cities. And so, like Smyrna, this church receives only encouragement from Jesus. There's no criticism at all. So, that's pretty good. And I'll call it the church with the open door. You'll see why in a few moments. Uh, but the passage that we're about to read, um, these, these words from Jesus, there, is a, there are direct references here to other major themes in the Bible and even one particular verse which Jesus airlifts and drops into this message to this church. If you know uh, this, the passage comes alive for you. If you don't know this, then you see it at a certain level, but not the level that these people would have, would have seen it and understood it uh, back in their time for the original audience. Um, so again, a biblical worldview, the more time you spend in the pages of the Bible, the more you start to see these things. Uh, but this is from Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 to 13, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write. And again, that word angel could be messenger, depends on your translation. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Well, that's powerful, isn't it? I know your deeds, and we could, we could stop there and say, uh-oh, <laughs> what's coming? Because whenever Jesus says, I know your deeds, it can make you really scared or it can make you really, real excited. Well, here it was good news. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not 
denied my name. Encouraging, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan. We'll get there in a sec. Just hold on. Who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my word to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Uh, Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. Interesting, this is probably written pre-A.D. 70 when the Romans destroyed completely the temple. It has never since been rebuilt I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Real interesting address. Now, if you do a little bit of digging, and I'm going to do some teaching here today and show you how to do this, this passage will really, really come alive for you. We'll just pick at it a bit uh, verse by verse here. Jesus identifies himself as him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. This is uh, certainly a very encouraging verse, and it speaks of the authority and the power of Jesus, but it is airlifted word for word, and this is very intentional, what Jesus is doing here from Isaiah chapter 22 and verse 22. Now, um, uh, just as I flip over there, this past week in our online Alpha course, it was really cool. We were talking about how to read the Bible, how and why we should read the Bible. And a couple of people were sharing how they do that. And, you know, there's people from all over the spectrum on our on our Alpha course, uh, which is all online. There are people who are brand new to the Bible. There are people who are you know, quite familiar with the Bible, and people were showing their different things. And uh, one person came out, and she had she had a paper Bible with all of the tabs marked in it, so you could you could quickly flip to any one of the sixty six books of the uh, of the Bible, and and she could find it super easy. And that was so cool to see that. You don't see that a lot today. And there was another another person on the call, and she uses uh, a devotional a booklet called Our Daily Bread. Some of you who are watching may be quite familiar with it. And she had little post-its on it, and people were sharing of how they use an electronic Bible and all of that. Well, if you have a Bible that's a cross-reference Bible, I'm looking at one right now, okay? And what a, what a cross-reference Bible can do, an electronic Bible usually can't do. 
And what it can do is it can tell you with every verse in the Bible if there is some kind of a cross-reference to it, all right? So it'll, it'll have a margin. Usually it's in the center of the page and, you know, the little number system. And you look at here and you look there and you say, oh, is there a cross-reference? And sometimes those things are really helpful because you can see a pattern when a certain phrase is used, when a certain thing is taught. Now here, a cross-reference system allows you to see where Jesus airlifted this passage from. It's from Isaiah chapter 22, hundreds of years before. It's an obscure passage of scripture where Isaiah is talking about Hezekiah's treasurer. And this is, this is rather a stunning little passage of scripture here. There is a treasurer who has a lot of power in King Hezekiah's um, uh, kingdom and there's something corrupt about this treasurer, and Isaiah basically predicts that this treasurer is going to be deposed. And so in Isaiah chapter 22, verse 15, go and say to this steward, to Shebna, that's the name of the person, who is in charge of the palace, what are you doing here? And who gave you permission to cut out a grave for yourself here? Seems that this treasurer of sorts was doing some planning for his own demise and decided to make some sort of a, of a grave, a tomb for himself, but he took advantage of, this, of, the situ of what he had access to and he had no permission to make that grave where he was making it. Hewing your grave on the height and chiseling your resting place in the rock. So basically, you have someone abusing their authority, taking advantage of their access, albeit for what they think might be good reasons. Beware, the Lord is about to take firm hold of you and hurl you away, O mighty man. Again, this is a guy of very high standing in King Hezekiah's uh, kingdom. He will roll you up tightly. This is Isaiah speaking on behalf of God, he will roll you up tightly like a ball and throw you into a large country, and there you will die, and there your splendid chariots will remain. You disgrace to your master's house. So very, very firm rebuke for what he was doing, and he's called out here by the prophet Isaiah. Now watch, I will depose you from your office and you will be ousted from your position. In that day, verse 20 of Isaiah 22, I will summon my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and hand your authority over to him. He will be a father to those who live in Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And watch this. I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. And my little cross-reference Bible tells me, ah, this is where Jesus is quoting from. And so in Isaiah chapter, uh, sorry, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7, not only is Jesus, uh, does he have these keys and so on, he is greater than that one Eliakim who was called by God to take the place of the corrupt treasurer. 
And so again, these words, uh, he holds the key of David. It's not on his shoulder. He actually holds the key of David. That's very significant of the authority of Jesus. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. So the reader, the hearer of this in the first century, if they knew that passage out of Isaiah, they'd say, wow, this is a very powerful presentation of Jesus here. I sure would like to have him open a door for me or close a door, perhaps, because when he does it, it is done. And we see in verse 8, the open door is there. And there are many churches around the world that are called the church of the open door. Well, it comes out of this passage. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Now, an open door, when we look at uh, the, the book of Acts, when we look at Paul's writings, an open door always refers to an opportunity to share the message of Jesus. And so this little church is being told, even though they have little strength, there is an open door for them to share the message of Jesus, probably in their immediate surroundings and these other six churches in uh, Asia Minor. And that door has been opened by Jesus himself, and no one is going to shut that door. So they have opportunity to reach people with the pure message of Jesus, uh, I will call it. Let me see what's working here, what's not working. Oh, have we lost any connections anywhere? We're all good? Okay. Looks like the screen is lost, but that's all right. I will just continue on mine, and uh, my technician, if you can just follow along, I'm sure I'll be easy to track, okay? So it's the pure, clean message of Jesus, and they have an opportunity to share this. Pretty cool. And then you see this other uh, stuff here about the synagogue of Satan and Jews who say they're not. And you say, well, what in the world is that? What does that have to do with me and my life? Well, again, when you, when you have a, a, a sense of the Bible overall, you're developing a biblical worldview. First of all, you know this term synagogue of Satan already uh, because the church in Pergamum, uh, Pergamum, no, church in Smyrna, same phrase is used in Revelation chapter 2 and verses 8 to 11. This phrase, really strong phrase, uh, the so-called synagogue of Satan. Now, I'm going to try and get reconnected here so that the folks can see it. Let's go. Just give me a second here and go. No, he's not going. All right, so we'll go back. We'll shift there. Okay, sorry. Edit, and uh, this way, and this way. Okay, back, back, back. Technology. Okay, so um, when we talk about this phrase and what's going on here, what does he mean? This is a pretty obvious reference to um, a, a very strong argument that Jesus had with a bunch of religious folks um, in John chapter 8, okay? I'm going to turn there and just share with you a little bit about it without uh, reading the whole thing. And what's going on here is Jesus is challenging these folks um, on their supposed Judaism because he is now standing in their presence, and yet they are rejecting him. 
so John chapter 8 and uh, verse 31, for example, to the Jews who had believed in him. And this is really scary because you'll see that their faith is kind of a surface layer faith. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, and then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Very famous passage. We quote it today. And what happens is these people say, well, we are Abraham's descendants. In other words, we're real Jews, and we've never been slaves of anyone, so how can, how can you say that we'll be set free? And Jesus starts to talk to them about being a slave of sin and so on. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do, uh, you do what you have heard from your own father. So he's setting up a very strong confrontation here, and he's saying, you are against me, and yet you say that your father is Abraham. And again, John says these are people who had believed in him, probably a very surface layer faith. And they say, Abraham is our father. And Jesus says, no, he's not. You're taking your cues from your real father. And he says, what you're doing is of your father, the devil. Wow, pretty, pretty scary stuff. Uh, and this is what's being alluded to when Jesus uh, refers to this, this group of people in Philadelphia that were challenging this church, and Jesus calls them false Jews, calls them a synagogue of Satan. Just for a little humor here, uh, I, found a, I found a funny uh, uh, image on the, on the internet. It actually comes from a bunch of pastors, and it says on it, the people at home are going to see it, it's a, it's a hand sanitizing station, you know, in a, in a store or somewhere, and uh, it, what it's trying to say is, please sanitize your hands, and instead it says, please satanize your hands here. <laughs> a little bit of a spelling boo-boo. Uh, instead of sanitize, satanize. Um, so just don't be too freaked out by the terminology that Jesus is using here. What he's trying to say is, if you are against me and you're calling yourself a true Jew, in fact, you are not. If you're trying to kill me, then you're trying to do the will of your father, and your father is not Abraham, and your father is not God in that case. Uh, I know we're coming up to Halloween. It's, it's next week, so, you know, please Satanize your hands here. No, please sanitize your hands here. But again, you see, you see how all of this gets more and more understandable when you have a picture of what the Bible says more as a whole. And then in verse 10, don't worry, we're getting to a conclusion. You say, I know some of you, what does all this mean to me? Seems like a bunch of theological mumbo-jumbo. Just hold on. Uh, verse 10, since you have kept my word to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come and test the whole world, all who live on the earth. What is this? I mean, this is a very interesting one little verse there that causes us to wonder, is this letter to this church in Philadelphia referring not only to the church in Philadelphia, but something much, much bigger? 
Because Jesus himself in the Gospels, in Matthew 24, in Mark 14, um, in Luke, I think, 22, 23, he talks about a time that will come in the future where the whole world, the whole earth is tested. Uh, he, there are terms that are used called tribulation uh, in the Bible. Uh, uh, the time of Jacob's trouble is used in the Bible. The hour of trial that tests the whole world, this is used in the Bible. And we see it in quite a lot of detail in the book of Revelation, if you read the book as a whole. And there seems to be a promise here to this church that this church is going to be kept somehow from uh, trouble that is coming, but not only to their area, but to the whole world. And this causes people to wonder, hey, is there something much bigger that's being talked about here? Now, I'm not going to get into the whole sequence of future events and the various views on all of that. Suffice to say that Jesus promises that these people, because of their faithfulness and because of their endurance, they're going to be protected from something that's coming, something that is very, very earth-shaking. I have had people ask me the question uh, because of the pandemic. Many people have asked me. Uh, online, and they say, well, you know, you're a pastor, so tell me, is is this the tribulation? Is this the end? And some of them will get real fancy, and they say, well, you know, the Bible talks about a seven-year period of tribulation. Is this the tribulation? Is this the end? And my answer is no. Um, I don't believe it is. I think that that is still coming. I think that this verse in verse 10, the hour of trial that is going to come to test the whole world, I don't even think that that has come yet. Um, some people say that it has. I would tend to disagree with this. But the point of the passage is because these people have been faithful and because they have endured and because they have been patient, that somehow Jesus is going to protect them from a terrible time that is to come. Now, here's where it gets real applicable to you and me in verse 11 and the back end of this. This is where it applies to anybody, no matter where they are. I am coming soon. Well, that still applies today because Jesus still has not returned yet. Hold on to what you have. If there's one thing that you remember from this message, hold on to what you have. And when, when Jesus is speaking here about the what you have, he's not speaking of material possessions. This church had none to speak of. He's not talking about uh, money. He's not talking about uh, political gain or political power or something like that. He's talking about their faith. He's talking about their convictions. He's talking about their worldview, which we talked about last week. And he's saying those are the things that you have to hold on to. Hold on to what you have. He knows that they have, even though they have little strength, they have what? Kept my word. They have not denied my name. He says, hold on to what you have. Why is that so applicable today? In, in very recent news, there are a number of cases of Christian musicians, writers, uh, pastors, um, actors who have gone on record as saying they are no longer Christians. 
and they are no longer, they would no longer consider themselves followers of Jesus, and they've walked away from it, and they have, uh, we use the term, deconstructed their Christianity to a point where there's nothing left, and they are going on record, athletes going on record saying, I no longer call myself a Christian and can no longer identify myself as a Christian. And it's curious when you ask them why and they give their reasons why they're quite detailed and they say, well, you know, this question was never answered. I've had this question all my life and it can be one of a series of things and it was never answered. And so I have thrown it away. And what they have done is they've, they've not held on to what they had. And that is very, very hard to do, apparently, because this church and the other one, um, Smyrna, are the only two churches out of the seven uh, that Jesus does not have some pretty sharp criticism for. So the other five really needed to work on things like this, but two out of the seven still held on. So that would tell us it's quite difficult for a person to hold on to the things that they believe when tough times come. And there were certainly tough times that this church was facing. The reward for them, to him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. This is symbolic language, but a pillar in the temple was what held it up. It's that's what held it up all the time. These people, the center of their worship system was the temple, at least before it was destroyed in the year 70. And so this promise, I will sometime in the future make a pillar in the temple of my God would have been very encouraging for them. Never again will he leave it. So that person who overcomes, that person who holds on to their faith until the end, that person who patiently endures, somehow there's this promise, never again will he leave it. So somehow forever in the presence of God. Uh, but watch this at the end here. And I call this the three names on your jersey uh, passage. I will write on him three names. So the name of my God the name of the city of my God, and my new name, I will write on the one who overcomes, the one who endures patiently, the one who holds on to what he has, what she has. You get three names, God's name, the city's name, and Jesus's new name, whatever that means. Now you say, well, what's the big deal? Um, I, I, here's an illustration for you. It just came to me yesterday uh, in a couple of ways. I was watching the uh, the World Series last night, late into the night, and saw one of the craziest, most bizarre, uh, most thrilling games. But, of course, in team sports, people have jerseys, right? And there's a name on it. On the back of their jersey, it's usually got their last name. And they may have a number on the back of their jersey. And then on the front of their jersey, they've got the team's name. And you look at that athlete, whatever sport you want, and you can tell who they are by looking at their jersey. Uh, just yesterday, my daughter, who's um, uh, one of the uh, co-captains of her own competitive dance team, she got a, 
a jersey delivered to her. And it says her last name emblazoned on the back of the jersey. You know, and of course, that makes dad feel real proud. But on the side of the, of the jersey, it says captain. And on the front of the jersey, it says the name of the dance school. Three names emblazoned on it. You know exactly who the person is by what's written on the jersey. Well, the person who overcomes, the person who holds on to their faith until the end. I mean, you, you've got quite an identity thing going on there. You get God's name, you get the city's name, and you get Jesus's name. There's no way that you don't know who that person is. They are clearly identified. This is a statement uh, about identity and about who that person is. And uh, just as a bonus for you, you see Jesus talking about my God, my God, my God. I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and I'll write the name of my God, the city of my God, uh, the, which is coming down from heaven from my God. And just as a bonus for you, some people get confused. They say, well, how could Jesus be God and call God his God at the same time? Which God is the God anyway? <laughs> and I know some of you may be asking that. Uh, again, the question came up uh, in, uh, in Alpha a couple of weeks ago. And I'll just give you this for free today. Uh, Psalm chapter 45, 45th Psalm. You actually see an example of that there uh, where God is calling out to God as if there's two gods, but there's only one God. Verse 6, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Uh, verse 7, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions and by anointing you with the oil of joy. This verse is quoted in the New Testament with reference to Jesus. And you see God as if he's having a conversation with God. And that's because uh, we have God who is the Father. You have God who is the Son. And you have God who is the Holy Spirit. This is something you see pretty clearly revealed in the pages of the Bible. And you've got this example here in Revelation chapter 3. But the, the overall thrust of this and the, the application for you and me today, it is a scary time that we live in. And it is, a, it is frightening to observe these churches. And you're going to look at the last church um, next week, the church in Laodicea, which Jesus has very strong criticism for. Essentially, five out of the seven churches have real problems holding on to their faith. Five out of the seven. And that's the first century. That's when it's all fresh. Five out of the seven are having trouble holding on. Only two out of the seven are, and they're holding on with little strength in difficult moments, in difficult circumstances. How is yours? Um, are you holding on to what you have? If you had a jersey today, what would that jersey say on it? Would it have God's name on it today? Not talking necessarily about the future, because this is a future promise here. But what would your jersey say now? Would it say nothing? Would it have nothing to do with God at all? Would it have nothing to do with Christianity or Jesus at all? Or would it be clear that this is who you are and these are the things that you believe and this is what you're holding on to? And that's the, uh, the challenge for us as we look into this ancient church 
um, from the first century. So I'd like the band, if they'd go up and, um, and start to play, you guys pick whatever song that you want, and we'll close with that song, but you can go ahead and start playing it now. Uh, but I wonder if there are those of you, and I the pandemic is just a tripping point, and what it has done is it has caused you uh, to wonder, um, what, is my, what is my faith about now? And uh, is, it s is it still there? Is it still something that I'm holding on to? Um, am I still calling myself a Christian? Again, there are, there are a, a, a number of prominent leaders. Again, sports figures, actors, writers, teachers, pastors, musicians. And some of them are very significant names. And they have, they have said, I'm not holding on anymore. Uh, are you? Maybe you've got questions that are unanswered. And those things are part of the equation as to whether or not you're going to slip away and you're just going to give this stuff up. Let me encourage you that for those of us who say, you know what, we're going to hold on to it. Some of us, we've got questions and we'll continue to have those questions. If I'm being honest, I think the longer that I live, the more questions I have. Uh, but one of the things that I'm very certain about at the end of the day, when the foam dissolves, when the cookies fall back down on the tray, when the pandemic is over, you know, when I'm at the end of my life, whenever that will be, is that Jesus has risen from the dead. And that's the conviction that these people had in this church in Philadelphia. And they were willing to hold on until the end. If you put a jersey on them at that time, you would see that they were people who had the name of Jesus, the Christian name. They were followers of the Christ back in that day. Are you 2,000-some-odd years later, or is that something that is slipping away? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the challenge of your word today. Uh, and Lord, how you can speak through an ancient, ancient church from 2,000 years ago doesn't even exist anymore. But Lord, there were people there, and there were people who were willing to hold on to their identity in Christ. So I pray for people who are watching, listening, people who are going to watch or listen to recordings of this, and they've got a tension going on and a battle going on as to whether they're just going to give up or keep going. And Lord, you're speaking to them right now. I pray that by the power of the Spirit, you would give strength and encouragement to people. And Lord, we would hold on to the things that really last. Well, we look around and we see everything around us. It's all temporary. It's all going to fade. Lord, it could, it could fade away tomorrow in an instant. But God, I pray you would help us. You would shake us to a place where we would hold on to the things that stay the same and that never change. For there's nothing that's better than you. You are the one who overcame even death itself. So build in us, God, a conviction and a faith that would be like a rock in an uncertain time 
like an anchor for our soul. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I searched the world But it couldn't fill me A man's empty praise And treasures that fade Are never enough Then you came along And put me back together Every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing, nothing is better than you. not afraid to show you my weakness my failures and flaws but you've seen them all and you still call me friend cause the God of the mountain is the God of the valley there's not a place your mercy and grace will find me again. There's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. There's nothing, nothing is better than you. Turn morning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You turn morning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. 
You turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can. You're the only one who can. You're the only one who can. Amen. Thank you so much, Simon and team, for leading us today. And uh, thank you for watching. And as I have uh, often said, I think I forgot today, you press that little share button at the bottom of your screen and you're sharing with other people. So please don't be shy to do that. I look forward to being with you again next week. We're right here at Institut Biblique du Québec in Longueuil. And we'll talk about the Church of Laodicea next week. Until then, God bless you, everyone.